If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it, and we're going to turn to the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we are in Luke chapter 10, near the end there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table there. I'm sure someone would be grab, glad to hand you one. Um, Joshua's standing up. Anyone need a Bible? Just raise your hand. Put them to work. All right, we're okay. Thanks, Joshua. <laughs> um, but Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 37 uh, this week. This is uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you have ever heard the phrase Good Samaritan? Right? I mean, this is probably one of the most popular teachings of Jesus, maybe second to the prodigal son. Um, that's a really popular one, and we'll get to that in Luke chapter 15. But the parable of the Good Samaritan is something that, that we all know really well. Maybe you have been a Good Samaritan. Uh, you've had a circumstance where you're driving down the road and you see someone with a, a flat tire, or someone is in need that they, you know, they need 50 cents to, to pay for their hamburger and you help them. Or, or maybe you've been the recipient of, of someone being a Good Samaritan to you. You can remember a circumstance where you were in distress and someone helped you. This is a beautiful passage. just reminds us of, of what the call on our lives is as followers of Jesus and, and what it looks like uh, to be uh, a neighbor. Um, it's, it's structured, this passage, we're going to read through it. It's structured around four questions. There's a guy, he's called the expert in the law. Uh, now, we're not talking, he's called, actually, in my passage, he's called a lawyer. Now, this isn't a lawyer like we would typically think, but this is a, a man who was an expert in the Old Testament law. He knew those first five of the book, books of the Bible backwards and forwards. He was a, an expert in that. He understood the law, and he was a, a teacher in Israel. And so he's an expert in the Old Testament. And, and he comes to Jesus, and he has some questions. He asks, asks one question, and then Jesus asks him a question. And then he asks another question, and Jesus tells him a story, and then asks him a question. And so there's four questions, two from the expert in the law and two from Jesus for a total of four questions. And that's kind of how we're going to look at the passage, is just the four questions, okay? So we'll read through it here, and, and you'll note the questions, and, and then we're just going to jump off from each of those different questions. So this is very familiar, but let's put it in context of what we've been studying in Luke, and uh, I pray we'll see it with, with fresh eyes. So if you know this story, let's try to read it like you've read it. This is the first time you've ever heard it, okay? It says in verse 25, And behold, a lawyer, or as I said, an expert in the law, stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, putting on, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to, the, to an inn and took care of him. 
And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Just reading that again, you can see why it's such a well-known passage. What a wonderful story. What a beautiful parable that that Jesus tells. What's the first question that we see here? This expert in the law comes and he asks a question. He says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to gain eternal life? Now, this isn't the only time that Jesus has asked this question because this is an extremely important question. I mean, you could say that this is the ultimate question of life. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? This is something we all want to we all want to figure out. We need to figure out. And if you don't want to figure this out, I, I'm telling you right now, you, you need to figure this out. What do we need to do to inherit eternal life, to be right with God? Now, what's interesting, though, is why is this expert in the law asking the question. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he, he's not genuine in this seeking of an answer from Jesus, is he? He's putting him to the test. He wants to see what Jesus is going to say. It, it may be from, um, from pride that he's coming to Jesus and he wants to prove how smart he is. If you've ever been in a classroom setting, you know the guys that ask that question, Right? They ask a question to show how smart they are. <laughs> and that's kind of what this guy's doing. He's asking a question because he wants to show everyone how smart he is. He's not coming to Jesus like we saw last week as a, as a humble little child, but he's coming as the wise and the understanding. He's coming in arrogance. He's coming in, in pride to Jesus. But Jesus doesn't really have an issue with that, does he? He doesn't throw him out and say, I mean, he knows this guy's heart. We know that about Jesus. He knows the man's heart, but he's going to take the time. He's going to answer the question. Now, this isn't the only guy that comes to Jesus with this kind of an attitude. It happens every day. This is how people come to to Jesus. They come with an attitude of superiority. Let's test Jesus out. Let's figure out this whole Christianity thing. They might come to you because you're a representative of Jesus, and they want to know what you think about Jesus. But they come to test you. They, They come kind of in a mocking tone, and their questions are meant to sort of trap you. They want to make you look foolish and exalt themselves. Some people might come to church just to they want to expose how silly this whole thing is, you know. They think that Christians are misguided fools. Uh, maybe that's you. Maybe that's why you're here, you know. You don't buy into this whole thing. But I, I want to invite you, if that's, if that's why you're coming, if you're coming with cynicism and, and mockery, then come on in. Uh, Jesus can handle it. Jesus is ready to answer your questions, and, and you can come. And, and if, you're, if you're coming, maybe you're coming, you're, you're bringing your questions, but you're not really seeking for real answers. You just want to sort of expose the potholes and the, and the issues within Christianity. But I, I want to tell you, if, if you come, if, if you're ready to, to, to come to this truth and, and really think about it, Jesus might just answer your question. He might answer it in a way you don't even expect, and he might prove to you that, hey, this isn't as foolish as I thought it was. If you would be so bold even as to, to pick up Scripture and you know read the Gospel of Mark and let Jesus tell you who He really is, uh, God may be gracious enough to open your eyes and, and you might really see who Jesus is, that He's not the joke that you come thinking that He is. And I'd say to us who are fellow Christians, don't be intimidated by these guys. 
by these women that come with these kind of questions. They want to poke holes in Christianity and, and say how foolish and stupid you are for believing these things. Jesus can stand up underneath this stuff. Jesus can hold his own against the questions that the world's going to bring to us. They, they are experts. They are the prideful of the world. They come to test us and to mock us. And, but, but they don't realize, like we saw last week, we are the little children. We're in on the secret. We know, that, we know something that, that they don't know, that only the people that will humble themselves and come to Jesus as a little child. We know what they don't know. And so we have some answers for them. So don't be, don't be intimidated. So that's the ultimate question, right? What, is it, what, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with a question, right? Verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? That, that's one question. What does the law say? I mean, you're the expert in the law, right? You, you, he's, he's almost giving this guy the opportunity to show how smart he is. He's, well, you tell me. What do you understand the law to say about what is, what is true and what is, what is the way to salvation? I think that he probably wanted Jesus to say something like, believe in me. And then he would call him out on his heresy and say, well, you're making yourself out to be the Messiah. And that's, that's wrong. But he, he gives him the opportunity to, to tell what he believes from the law. And, and, and Jesus values the law. Jesus values the Old Testament as an authority. He's not saying that, to, he's not dismissing the law. He's not saying you're spending all your time studying something that's foolish that you don't need to study. He's saying this is, this is value. Scripture is an authority in our lives. And we need to look to it for the ultimate answers to ultimate questions. So what does the law say? It says a lot. <laughs> First five books of the, of the Old Testament, this guy had devoted his life to being an expert on it. So Jesus says, tell me what the law says. Well, he could have gone on for a long time, but what does he do? He summarizes it. He summarizes it underneath two commands, which is something that Jesus himself does. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with your whole being, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Two passages, one from Deuteronomy, one from Leviticus, that are said to sum up the entire law. If you look at the Ten Commandments, people will say that these two commandments sum up the entire Ten Commandments. So the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments, if you want to look at those, um, they they are summed up underneath the phrase, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. And the final six, things like you shall not murder, not commit adultery, those are summed up underneath this commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if we can love God fully, and we can love our neighbor as ourselves, we will complete the Ten Commandments. Jesus boils it down to two. All those five books boil it down to two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds, what does he say? He says, he said to him, you have answered correctly. Ding, ding, ding. That's right. You got it. You got the right answer. Do this and you will live. This is the key to eternal life. Now, what is Jesus saying? How is, how is love for God and love for neighbor the key that unlocks the door to eternal life? What's, what's the point that he's making? I want to think about this in, in two ways. One's maybe a little abstract, and maybe we can talk about it this evening at Potluck, and you can tell me I'm wrong for thinking about it this way. But just think with me about this for, for a minute. I think one way is that, that love for God and neighbor is the truest expression of genuine faith. 
So what I'm trying to say is that Jesus isn't telling us that we have to work to gain salvation, but actually that love for God and love for neighbor is an expression of true, genuine faith. And then the second way that we're going to talk about it is that that this call to love God and love neighbor actually exposes our need for a Savior. But let's think about the first one, okay? That love is the truest expression of genuine faith. So the the key to eternal life is to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus says that's right. That's, That's what you need to do to inherit eternal life. But you notice that, that eternal life is received within the context, I would say, of, of loving God. That gaining eternal life, Jesus says, is not about your actions. What's it about? It's about your attitude. Do you love God? Now, now faith is not just mental assent. Faith is not just understanding things about who God is and what Jesus has done. It is that, in part, you have to know the gospel to, in order to believe it. But if you know those things and you don't like Jesus, that's not faith. If you know those things and you continue to hate God, that's not faith. And so there is something about faith that actually loves God, loves Jesus, loves who he is. It's it's this faith is not just understanding who Jesus is, but it's an all of life devotion to God. This is what we've been created for. This is, this is why we have been made. God has made us with this deep longing for satisfaction and joy that can only be found in Him. So when we seek to find ultimate satisfaction in something other than God, we're always coming up short. That's what sin is. Sin, sin is seeking joy and fulfillment somewhere other than in God, in loving God and in loving neighbor. Sin is, we could say, not believing Sin is a lack of faith that God is sufficient to to supply all my needs and to satisfy the deep longings of my soul. Sin is a lack of faith that love of God is all that I need. So there's a way to hear this, I think, and, and it's to hear with ears of faith, or we might say from last week, it's to hear with the ears of a, of a little child. How does a little child hear this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, and you'll gain eternal life. What is, what is a little child here? What do my kids here if they come and they say, Dad, I'd like a piece of cake. Can, will you give me this piece of cake? And I say, if you love me, then you can have the cake. What do they do? They take the cake. Because <laughs> they love me. So they, they, want the, they probably love me even more because I'm giving them cake. You know. So there's a way to hear it that, that we... That we don't, we don't say, I, my kids don't say, oh, if I love you, then I can have the cake. So they go off and they try to prove how much they love me. You know, they go off and do all these things to, to, to show I really love you, Dad, and I'm going to do all these good works, and that's going to prove my, my love for you. No, they, they receive it as a, as a gift. They say, yeah, Dad, I love you. So I'm going to take the cake. It's mine. And so I think there's this sense that ears of faith, ears of little children, hear this and say, yes, God, I give my whole self to you. you I love you. And that's faith. That's what faith is. So I think Jesus is not undermining faith and saying it's work, but in some ways he's saying, this is how you gain the gift. You love me. And if we have the heart of a child, we say, I love you, God. I have faith in you. And we receive the gift as little children. So that's ears of faith, ears of a little child. But, but what kind of ears does this guy have? He's got, he's got the ears of the wise and the understanding. He's got the ears of the self-righteous and the prideful. He's got, he's got ears of works. 
He hears Jesus saying, not love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. He says, do these things and you'll get eternal life. That's what it looks like to get eternal life. You need to do this. He's kind of come with that mindset, hasn't he? What do we need to do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? What do we need to do? What's, What's the list of things that I need to do to inherit eternal life? This is how we're hardwired. This is how we come to God. God, what do I need to do? How do I earn my salvation? We're hardwired towards works righteousness. So in his case, love is not seen as the truest expression of genuine faith, but rather that this call reveals, is meant to reveal his need for a Savior. It's meant to expose his need for a Savior. One of the purposes of the law is to reveal the sinfulness of our hearts. So when Jesus says, do these things and thereby you will get eternal life, the response is supposed to be, I can't do that. That's what you're supposed to do. Jesus gives, here's the list of things to do. And we're supposed to say, I can't do that. I have no hope. I, I can't gain salvation. I need a Savior. I need someone to do this for me. I need a righteousness that's not my own, but comes from somewhere or someone else. I, I can't do this. But that's not where we go usually, at least not at first. And that's kind of where the second passage of the, or the, the third question, I should say, of the passage is, is rooted in. So Jesus says, do this and you will live. And the man thinks, I can't, I can't do that. I mean, he knows the law, right? He's the expert in the law. Love God. Love my neighbor. I'm sunk. But what does he say? Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, <laughs> he wants to vindicate. He wants to, oh, there's got to be a way I can do this. So he says, who is my neighbor? This guy's no fool. He knows he needs to figure out a way to figure out what this standard is and find some way that he can attain it, that he can do it. But, but rather, So rather than admit that he needs someone to do it for him, he decides, well, how about I just lower the, the standard? So when, when he asks, who's my neighbor, do you know what he's really asking? Who isn't my neighbor? <laughs> who don't I have to love? <laughs> How can I get by without um, having to love everyone? He's, he's hoping to appease his conscience. Um, this is the nature of our hearts, isn't it? We're trying to earn our, our salvation. And so rather than admitting that we can't, we just try to find a way to get by. It's what's going to start happening this time of year in high schools and colleges uh, around the nation. People are going to start to say, okay, I got it. Right now I have a C in this class. <laughs> What do I need to do to pass? What, what do I need to do to get, a, you know, I, what I, I need a C plus on this test and, and I will pass the class. Or if I just can get a B in chemistry, I will graduate. That's all I want. I just need to figure out how many points do I need to get to get the B. Of course, there's a time when you look at the requirements and you say, I need a 200% on this quiz. <laughs> and it's impossible. Or we're out of extra credit options. There's no hope. But still, people fight and try to figure out how to pass. So when Jesus is answering this man's question, he, he, this, who is my neighbor, part of what he's going to do is expose this guy's heart. He wants to show him what this really looks like. Okay, you want to know how to love your neighbor? You want, you want to know who your neighbor is? Let me explain this to you so that you see how hard this is and actually how impossible it is. What's the question again? Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, 
a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This isn't how it wasn't the answer he was expecting, right? Jesus launches into a story. It's very interesting the way that he does this. Um, this guy wants to justify himself, remember, and, and Jesus is trying to tell him um, this is what it looks like to love your neighbor. Remember, he's probably trying to find out who isn't his neighbor, and Jesus wants to tell him not just who his neighbor is, but Jesus kind of goes beyond what that question is. He's not just going to say, here's who your neighbor is. He's going to say, here's what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, you want to just know who your neighbor is, but you've missed the, the broader point of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And so let me, let me bring that up, because that's the real issue. Not who your neighbor is. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself, and that's, that's going to be tough. Because I think the, the issue here is that the, the ultimate answer to who is my neighbor is everyone. We're going to get there. That's a hint for later. The ultimate answer is everyone is my neighbor. But if that's the only point that Jesus wants to make, then he tells a different story, I think. Because who's the hero in the story? A Samaritan. If, if Jesus wants to say you need to love everyone, then the Samaritan is the guy that's laying on the side of the road. And there's a Jewish man that comes by and sees the Samaritan and helps him. Because the Samaritans and the Jews, they hated each other. It was a racial issue, really. At its core, the, the Jews thought that the Samaritans were half-breeds, that they weren't true people of Israel, and so they didn't like them. And so, if Jesus just wants to say, you need to love everyone, then what he's going to have is a Jewish man walking down the road who sees a Samaritan and then helps him. But that's not what he does. He has a Samaritan be the hero in the story. So here's how Jesus makes the point, I think. There's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Who is this Man, presumably, and I think rightly, this is a Jew. This is a Jewish man just like this teacher in the law. And I think the reason that he does that is so that this man, this expert in the law, will identify with this guy walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's trying to say, this is you, okay? You are this man. You're taking a trip. So I think we all need to do that, right? Imagine in your mind, this is you taking a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about 17 miles, and it's a rough place. I mean, this is there, there's caves everywhere, there's robbers and thieves, and people would usually travel in caravans so they could be safe and not get mugged and beat up. But this guy, for one reason or another, is traveling by himself, and lo and behold, it says he falls among robbers. He hears some, some leaves cracking, he hears some voices, and all of a sudden he's standing there, and he's surrounded by a gang. And these guys... What's the text say? It says that they stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So they come, they beat him up, they rip his clothes off of him, take everything that he owns, and then they leave him. It says they leave him half dead. I mean, this guy is in rough shape. This isn't, you know, just that he kind of got slapped in the face. This, he's bleeding. He's hurting, and if no one comes, he won't just be half dead, he will be fully dead. He is going to die unless he has help. Imagine that you're him, right? This is you. You get beat up, and you're half dead. You're laying in your own blood, and you will die if no one helps you. And so you're there, and, and you're maybe in and out of consciousness, and you're just praying, God, please send someone, someone, someone that will care, someone that will that will help, and you, you sort of wake up for a minute, and you see someone coming down the road. 
And it's a priest. We might say it's a, it's a pastor. It's some religious worker. I can say that because I'm a pastor. So we'll dog on pastors a little bit, right? And he's walking down the road. And you think, this is it? Of all the people that God would send my way, he'd send a pastor. This guy's going to help me. I know it. What does he do? Passes by on the other side. And the guy said, you know, what? What's going on here? And then a Levite comes. Oh, a Levite, he's not necessarily a priest, but, I mean, he's a little bit below a priest, and he's going to feel some sort of compulsion to help me out. And there's hope. I mean, by chance, God sent this guy. This is so wonderful. Passes by. Leaves him. He's just laying there. He's laying there dying. And then a Samaritan shows up. Now, if Jesus isn't telling this story, the Samaritan walks over and says, I wonder if he's got anything left. I wonder if I can beat him up some more. Because these guys are enemies. They don't like each other, you know? Did they get everything off of him? Maybe he's got some money left. That's where you expect the story to go. But the Samaritan comes and, and what does he do? He helps him. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now this is the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? Put your, you're, in the, you're in the situation, right? You're the guy dead on the, half dead on the side of the road and someone, you're saying, the, the question you should be asking is, who do I want to be my neighbor? Well, if I'm in that situation, who do I want to be my neighbor? And the answer is, anyone. <laughs> anyone who's willing to help. Please, someone Help me. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's my greatest enemy. I want some help. Please. And so the answer, remember, we're thinking, what's the answer to the question, love your neighbor as yourself? If you're this guy, you want anyone to help you. And so, therefore, we help anyone. Anyone. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how much we might not like them. Who is your neighbor? Anyone, regardless of race or ethnicity or gender or age or social status or economic ability, any other form of worthiness, anyone we see, if we're laying in the road, we want anyone to help us. And in the same way, if we see anyone laying in the road, we help them. It doesn't matter who they are. Why? Because that's what I would want someone to do for me. That's what loving my neighbor as myself looks like. I help anyone. So who would you walk past? I think we all have a list of people that we would be more prone to walk past. Who, who, who do you not like too much? Who is your enemy? Maybe it is racism. Maybe it is some sort of classism. They're, they're too upper class or they're too lower class. Or, I, I can't answer that question. That's something we've got to think and process through. Who would you be tempted to walk past? And Jesus says, you're not allowed to walk past him. That's not love for your neighbor. That's not loving your neighbor as yourself. So that's the who. Who is my neighbor? Anyone. Anyone and everyone. But then Jesus gets at to the, another question that the guy didn't ask, which is, how do I love my neighbor? How do I love my neighbor as myself? Just look at this. A Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. That's the same word, if you remember, back in chapter 7, when Jesus sees the woman whose son had died. They meet at the gate. I don't know if you remember that part. Jesus' heart has compassion. His, his heart goes out to her. And this Samaritan, his heart, 
he, he identifies with this guy on the side of the road. He says, my, his heart went out to me, wanted to help. And so he goes to him. He doesn't pass by. He goes to him and he binds up his wounds. Just, I, I mean, stranger with, with open, bleeding wounds. And this guy goes to him and bandages them. He takes the wine that he has. It probably had some sort of antiseptic qualities and pours it on. And then he pours in oil, which would have been some sort of pain relief. And he's got an animal there, and he takes the man and he puts him on his, his own animal. So surely this guy's going to get blood all over the things that he has on his animal, but he's not worried about that. Puts him on his animal. Now he has to walk. He's probably been riding the animal. So he puts the man on his animal, and he, he walks beside the animal. And he brings him to an inn. Wow. He takes him to an inn. He doesn't just go to the inn and drop him off at the doorstep. It says he takes care of him. He goes in and he spends the night because it says the next day he's still there. He stays the night to, to make sure this guy's not going to die. And then he gives the innkeeper two denarii, which is, no one really knows exactly what it, how much it was. Is at least it's two days labor. He's going to house him there for probably at least two weeks. Some people say even up to a few months that he's going to be there to make sure this guy is okay. He gives him the money. And not only that, but he writes a blank check and says to the innkeeper, I'm going to come back. You guys know me. I come through here all the time. I'm going to make sure you, you give him whatever he needs. And when I come, I will, I will pay the debt. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this is, this is love, isn't it? I mean, this is what it looks This, And, and you know what it is? I can give you a list. I can tell you, okay, here's, here's what it looks like. You, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself means you have compassion. Loving your, it means you, you, um, you bind up people's wounds, so you're willing to do difficult things. Um, you, show, you show mercy. You pour in oil and wine. You, you're willing to sacrifice, you know, um, your goods, what you have to help someone out or... Um, Oh, let, let's think what else we could say. They took him to an inn, take care of him the next day. Oh, you're willing to part with your money. You freely give your money away, and you're willing to help us. We could give you a list, but you know what the real list is? What would you want someone to do for you? <laughs> that's what the Samaritan did. He looked at this guy, his heart went out to him, and he said, if that's me, what would I want someone to do? That's what I'm going to do. And so as we are coming to these situations, I think I could give you a list, but I, you're not going to remember it. So when you get in a situation and you see someone in that circumstance, what's the question you ask? Well, if that was me, what would I want someone to do? How would I want them to help them? To what extent would I want them to go? And then that's what we are called to do. That's what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. So then Jesus asks another question. He says to the guy, which one of these three do you think Proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers. Now, this is the easiest question in the world. Which one was the neighbor? What would you say? I'd say the Samaritan. What does he say? <laughs> the one who showed him mercy. <laughs> He's not going to say the Samaritan because he doesn't like Samaritans. Still, that's, that's still there, I think. But he recognizes what's going on. And so Jesus says to him, you go and do likewise. That's the response. If you see, this is, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? It means you love anyone and you're willing to do anything to help them. That's, that's the simple answer to the question. You love anyone 
There's no one that's excluded from your love, and there's nothing that's excluded from the list of things that you are willing to do. Now, there's a gray area here. I mean, I'm totally... Can we help everyone in this way? No. It's impossible. But what's interesting to me about this passage is verse 31. Now, by chance. So, he was on the road. He was on the road, and there was a guy that needed help. God had put that man in his path. Even though it's a parable, let's think, there's a sovereignty of God that places people in our path, and that's so we help. That's what we can do. We can't do everything for everyone, but we can do some things for some people. So we do what we can. How, how do we do this, though? I mean, Jesus just makes it very matter-of-fact. You go and do likewise. Remember, though, what's he trying to do with this guy? He's trying to expose... His self-righteousness. He wants to know who is my neighbor. In other words, who's not my neighbor so that I can lower the standard of the law and kind of skate in and, and gain eternal life. And so Jesus says, now here's the standard. It's the standard of the Samaritan. You love anyone and you'll do anything. And the guy is going to realize, I can't do that. And Jesus says, exactly. <laughs> That's what I want you to see, that you can't do this. But Jesus does it for us. Because in actuality, what the New Testament is going to do is, I mean, this is wild, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Do what you would want your neighbor to do for you. But what does Jesus then later say in John 13? I want you to love others. How? As I love you. (laughs) Oh, man. It's even harder. As I have loved you. As Jesus has loved us. The, the good Samaritan is a, is, a, is a good example. But Jesus, Jesus is the great Samaritan. Jesus is the one that, that fulfills this in an even deeper way. He, he loves all. He loves everyone. And he, he goes beyond what is normal. He goes to the point of laying down his life. And, and he does it just like this Samaritan did. He comes to where we are. Verse 33, he came to where he was. And he saw him. And he had compassion. That, that, that God the Father is filled with compassion. His heart goes out to us in this plight that we're in, in our sin. And he comes to where we are in Jesus. Jesus meets us where we're at. And then what does he do? He goes to him and he binds up his wounds. He pours on oil and wine. He does what is necessary to heal us. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an end, took care of him. He gives of himself. He doesn't just give his money. He doesn't just give his time. He doesn't give his effort. He gives himself. He gives his very life to us. And we are his enemies. If Jews and Samaritans are enemies, then we and God, because of our sin, are even more so enemies. We are separated from him. There is no reason in the world that God walking down the road, seeing us, not half dead, but dead, there's no reason that he should come over and help us. Zero reason that he should come over and help us. Why? Because we are his enemies Because of our sin. We have rebelled against Him. We want nothing to do with Him. And so if God is like we are with our enemies, then He's going to say, He got what He deserves. He's filled with compassion. And He comes and He he binds up our wounds. And He he goes to the point not just of helping, but of dying for ourselves. He puts Himself in a dangerous situation. Some people say the reason they may have not helped is because they thought, well, what if the robbers are still here? What if I get hurt? Jesus had no regard for that because He did get hurt. He was brutally beaten. He was crucified. He died for us. Jesus is 
the great Samaritan. Can I read something to you? This is um, Tim Keller says it this way. Same thing I've been trying to say, but just better. (laughs) The law expert did not have the vantage point to see what we can see. According to the Bible, we are like that man, dying in the road. Spiritually, we are dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.5. But when Jesus came into our dangerous world, He came down our road. And though we had been His enemies, He was moved with compassion by our plight. He came to us and saved us, not merely at the risk of His life, as in the case of the Samaritan, but at the cost of His life. On the cross, He paid a debt we could never have paid ourselves. Jesus is the great Samaritan to whom the Good Samaritan points. And then he says this, Before you can give this neighbor love, you need to receive it. Only if you see that you have been saved graciously by someone who owes you the opposite, will you go out into the world looking to help absolutely anyone in need. Once we receive this ultimate radical neighbor love through Jesus, we can start to be the neighbors that the Bible calls us to be. So don't, Don't make the mistake of the expert in the law and read this and then say, all right, I'm going to try really hard to love my neighbor as myself. It's going to flow from seeing ourselves dead on the side of the road with no hope, enemies of God. And when we see that, and then we look to Jesus and we see Jesus came to me. When I was dead, when I had no hope, I was lost. There was no hope for me in the world to find salvation. And Jesus came to me. And so it's not then I see the guy in the road and I want to love him like I love myself. No, I want to love him like Jesus has loved me. And then we will go. Don't don't do it because I love myself. Do it because Jesus has loved you. And if Jesus loved you in that way, then we must love others in the same way. Anyone, and we will do anything. But I just want to say one last thing. If you're this guy, and your question is not even at this point, you're just saying, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? The answer, in part, is you need to be dead on the side of the road. <laughs> and you need to recognize it. You need to see that you can't do anything. There is no hope except for what Jesus has done. And Jesus has come and even though we have rebelled against Him, He has come in love and He has taken the penalty for our sin upon Himself. He has done what none of us could do. He he came and, and, and we are the ones that have sinned. Jesus never sinned once in His life. He was the great Samaritan. He helped everyone. He did everything that was necessary. And He came and He takes our sin upon Himself by dying on the cross because we deserve death. We deserve to be on the side of the road. And Jesus takes the death for us. And then He gives us the righteousness that we we can't gain. We can't love God fully. We can't love our neighbors ourselves, but Jesus did. And He says, here, you have my righteousness. That's what salvation is. We come by faith, not by works. We believe and we come and we say, I love you, God. That's the expression of, of, of a heart that's full of faith. I love you, God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so if you're looking for the answer to that question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Repent and believe. And if you want to know who your neighbor is, anyone. And what should you do for him? Anything. You should love him as Christ has loved you. 
and lay down his life. Let's take a moment of silence and allow God's word to sink down into our hearts and the spirit to speak. And then I will close this in a word of prayer. Father, the good Samaritan was good, but you are great. We like that story, but we love you. And we love what you have done for us. Lord, fill our hearts with compassion. Let our hearts go out to people in need, whoever they might be. Someone on the side of the road or someone that lives in the same house that we do. But people that we don't necessarily like. People we don't want to help. People that don't deserve help. People that have done everything to spit in our face and say that, Give us every reason not to help them, Lord. Help us to love them because that's what you did for us. Lord, let our love flow out of what you have done for us in Christ. May we see the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what you have done. And when we see others lying on the side of the road, half dead, Lord, may our hearts say, when I was there, Jesus came to where I was and he helped. And may we go to others. And as we go to them, may we meet their needs in our deeds, but Lord, may we tell them the truth of what Jesus has ultimately done to save their souls. Lord, thank you. Be be lifted up, Jesus. You are great. You are worthy of our praise. Amen.